You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 569, why all gigs should finish before 10pm, the unstoppable rise of Amal Rajan and the brain-numbing hell of hold music. That's all coming up after The Clash with Ranking Roger and Rock the Casbah. Rock the Casper, rock the Casper, rock the Casper. 
them keep on rocking and I swing as I wait till they burn the zone as in a special request to the Clash Drama. Although this track has been available unofficially for some time, it was released legally this summer as a single to coincide with the 40th anniversary of their best-selling album Combat Rock, originally from 1982, a new mix featuring ranking Roger of the Beat, The Clash and Rock the Casbah. I could hear many different versions of that. I would never be sort of dissatisfied, really. I'm a huge fan of the track it's it's always a kind of sort of fun disco number in my view if you're doing sort of those sort of gigs it's it's a it's a good number to do i think so yeah i know it's not quite not quite their edgy early stuff but i do Mm. think it's a fabulous track Hmm. welcome along to parish council episode 569 i'm terence stackham and who needs the Notting Hill Carnival, when you have Juliet Harris to entertain I, you. I mean, that is, as always, incredibly too kind and incredibly inaccurate. But yes, I hope everybody going to Notting Hill Carnival has a great time. Um, what can I say? I try to have a good time all the time, as someone once said. Good morning, everyone. Let's hope they're safer than the people who I've been reading about attended the Reading Festival over the weekend. And um, there was extreme levels of violence and bonfires and tents I mean, being satellite there, there often is at reading mm. although i think it hasn't been that way for a while but uh, yeah it's, shame it's to, no shame yeah, to hear about absolutely. it um jules and the listener um i i need you um for a few <laughs> minutes to pretend okay. you're sting the popular i mean uh, you musician. know you know my issues with sting but okay <laughs> i will i'll try well at the very least um, you and the listener must tune your mind in so you can act as a sort of musical, let's say, power of attorney for Sting. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, this is, I, you know, I might I might investigate this as a new career. <laughs> Juliet Harris, musical power of attorney. I mean, it does talk to all of my interests. I like it. Sting has told BBC Radio 2 in an interview um, <laughs> his top 10 favourite songs of all time. Oh, no. OK. And I'm going to give you three a or B options to see if you Ooh, can correctly okay. guess three of his favourite songs of all time. I was so, going to say, this does make it a bit easier than I thought it was going yeah, to be. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, I'm not just going to randomly say name three of them. You're going to, from the entire history of music. Yes, a history of music, that. yes, indeed. I mean, did I could he, say, uncharitably, I bet they're all awful, but this is just me and my prejudice, so let's move on. Did he choose Procol Harum, White a Shade of Pale, or The Beatles, Tomorrow Never Knows? Sting's top ten. Oh yeah, this is good choice. Which decision? Correct. Yeah. You go for the Beatles. Is he correct? He chose Procol Harum, White Shade of Pale. You're off. You're off and running. Excellent. I will not score naught. Great news. Did he choose the Beach Boys, Good Vibrations, or Bob Marley, No Woman, No Cry? B. Correct. Hey. Finally, did he choose? Shaggy, It Wasn't Me, <laughs> or Sting, An Englishman in New York, in the top ten list of Sting's. Did he choose one of his own songs in his top mm. ten songs? Do you know, I'm going to say B. It was Shaggy. Oh, I mean, that is almost as bad, I think, <laughs> picking Shaggy rather than one of your own songs. Well, but um, still. 
I, so two out of three, very, very good. You you win. But that I'll just give you, I'll just very quickly run through that top oh, 10 on. list of Sting's yeah. favourite songs in all time. Because to me, they're really unexpected choices. Just, I was expecting yes. Branford Marsalis and Miles yes. Davis and um, Theolonius Monk and so on. This is, this is Sting's top 10 of all time, as told to BBC Radio 2. And I'll start at 10 and work to mm. 1. Shaggy, it wasn't me. Peter I mean, Gabriel. Just absurd, really. <laughs> absurd. Peter Gabriel, Sledgehammer. Oh, that's a tune. Human League, Don't You Want Me. Eurythmics, Here Comes the Rain Again. Number six, George Michael, Careless Whisper. Five, Pet Shop Boys, West End Girls. Four, Jerry Rafferty, Baker Street. Three, Bob Marley, No Woman, No Cry. Two, Progol Horror and White Shade of Pearl. Number one, Otis Redding, Dock of the Bay. I mean, so we'll give him that one. That's a very interesting list. Partly, part of me, uh, I think that maybe a lot of that is sort of eighties pop, isn't it? And I yeah. wonder if that originates from the time when they were. He was perhaps his most successful professionally, and that has a lot of sort of happy memories around it. All I would say is that I, I, my, one of my irritations with Sting is that his solo stuff, a lot of it for me, is hmm. pedestrian and uninspired. So I have to say, I'm less surprised by that list than you are. I'm yes, afraid. but I, but I was expecting John Coltrane and maybe some classic, <laughs> classical. Stuff, maybe say, blues, so- jazz, you exactly. know. What? No gong? Yeah, indeed. I'm surprised. <laughs> I'm surprised there was. I'm surprised there was no uh, Philip Glass. But never mind, eh? Maybe next time. Exactly. One of the greatest aspects of going to football matches is the sensible timing. Um, for mm. those of us now of an age where staying out late is not as attractive as it once was. Indeed. Games tend to kick off in the afternoon at the weekends, even the evening kickoffs during the weekdays. They still, everything's finished before 10 p.m. It is very convenient. Home in time for hot chocolate and a a slice or two of toast. Annoyingly, rock and roll has yet to catch up on on, on the sensible arrangement and gigs tend to run late into the night. It's increasingly unwelcome anyway due to railway workers striking and the entire world's infrastructure falling apart. Um, the tone was set, I think, by the Rolling Stones at Nebworth in 1976 when they went on stage at 11.30pm and finished at 2am the next day. Mm. And, of course, before that even, we had Jimi Hendrix um, starting his set at Woodstock at 830 on a Monday morning. So Wow. Uh, I've long felt that there is a, a, a genuine demand and good reasoning behind starting gigs earlier. Say... 7 p.m. Why not? And ensuring the whole thing is over by 9.30 at the latest. But I don't know. I suspect you young people would would welcome this in your world of raves and clubbing and whatnot, Jules. I'm a big fan of an early start and an early finish, I must admit. I love the fact that I am this podcast token young person. When In fact, I'm not really anything of the sort. Maybe it's a state of mind. I don't know. But I played at a night last evening that... It was a genuine nightclub night and, you know, stamps on hands, go downstairs, that sort of thing. And mm. the evening was 10 until 10 in the evening until 4 a.m. in oh the morning the next day. God, I was delighted to receive the 10 until midnight slot. That was perfect for me. People go, oh, there won't be anyone there if, if you open. There were quite a lot of people there. They mm. were my friends, people of my <laughs> ilk. And then we all left together and I drove two people home at midnight because, uh, yeah, we decided that we had had enough by that point. I'm a 
big fan of this Guardian article which talks about DJ Annie Mack, who was, oh, let's yeah. not forget, on Radio 1 for 17 years, to the point where this shows how young you are. they are on Radio 1. She's still 43 now, so she's a veteran <laughs> at 43, which is a little bit alarming. But anyway, <laughs> she's got this new night called Before Midnight, which is, as I explained to someone last night, Cinderella rules in that everybody <laughs> leaves. If I have a night on Cinderella rules, it always makes me happier. And yeah. she, she said that she got a very... Um, good reception and that she said that um that that she gets told you know thank you she said they all said the same thing when they arrived when they arrived early um thank you it's like i'm doing some kind of a public service mm. and she said she's billed it as clubbing for people who need sleep because uh, she's 43 and has kids and you think yeah fair enough this is great this is a great innovation <laughs> she says that raving is a state of mind and says she wants to put on nights for anyone who just wants to go out and loves night clubbing but hasn't really felt like nightclubbing is a place for them anymore and what is so lovely about this it was at the islington assembly assembly rooms assembly halls Mm. assembly halls that's right um was that it had a huge mix of people there so this report talks about um people in their 20s and 30s so younger people that like this as a as a vibe middle-aged mums older couples that have been going out for decades and this um this lovely, these lovely New Zealand women um, who were 33 and 31 sisters, Sarah Kelly and Frances Kelly, said they came there because they said Annie McManus's nights always feel so inclusive and really safe. Tonight it just feels like there's all these different types of people, all of different ages, but they're our type of people. Everyone wants just, just wants to have fun and we can be in bed by 1am. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, it sounds great, doesn't it, really? And I think it is so lovely that these nights are sort of put on mm. and it's it's brilliant it's I, I mean I really love them and and I think that and it doesn't really say this in the article and it's uh, but we I remember me and a friend of mine talking once about sort of night uh, sort of club nights that go on until the early hours and us is showing ourselves to be astonishingly naive because we were both like well how how do people stay up this late how can they stay up until half three it's ridiculous and then of course you realize the people that stay late towards the end of these evenings are the people that have taken drugs and the oh, people yes, that haven't taken drugs have gone home early and actually I really like the idea of earlier evenings because because it's and in a way night sort of the idea of night clubbing and sort of house and club nights have traditionally sort of been time timetabled around the taking of drugs the amount of time it takes you to come up on a on a pill and then yeah. that sort of thing and actually I really welcome earlier earlier without sounding puritanical I really welcome earlier sort of things because it means it's just about going to have a good time it's just about everyone going to dance to music I love doing those sort of evenings when you sort of just everyone I just play tunes that people want to dance to really it's why I always say I don't mix I don't do that kind of house stuff where you mix and everything I just put on one tune after another last night it was mostly 80s pop that people seem to enjoy very much mm. of, of all of all ages as well of all generations mm. there were people there in their 50s and there are people there in their teens enjoying the same music and I love the idea that we can have those spaces for people that and you don't have the edginess that that comes with some some sort of you know more more hedonistic drug fueled nights i just i just really like this as an idea i think it's it's a brilliant idea by annie mack and clearly she's done some market research and they know that there is very much an audience 
out there. People that really like dancing, but don't necessarily like what you think of as traditional nightclubbing. Just because people get older and have kids doesn't mean they stop having a great time. There's a lovely passage in um, in Nick Hornby's High Fidelity where the character is talking about a night that he's put on towards the end of the book and how everyone that attends, unlike traditional audiences who take ages to get warmed up, everybody is like madly dancing from the very beginning. And, you know, people have booked babysitters. They just want to have, you know, they, they haven't got time to waste as they've booked a babysitter until midnight. And that's why whenever people have said to me in the past, I've used that line before when people have said, you know, why, why do you know, why do you not have a, fir- a first gear? Why do you go hard straight away? And it's like some of these people have booked babysitters. They will be going home at half past 10. I haven't got two hours to scratch around for a good hour at the end. So, so very keen on this. Hooray for Annie Mac. Hooray for early, early finishes where you can have a good time and then go home. I had a dream new year's eve last year where i had a dj gig from eight until nine and then i came home had a video chat with some friends and i had cheese and wine and went to bed it was great <laughs> so you can so you can have i'm very much about these sort of double nights out so uh, we have a night out and a night in, in the same night so yes hooray for early night clubbing i think uh, you've, you've set me thinking there i think you're absolutely right about um late ending gigs and clubs in particular as a consequence of social change mm. and um and the link to um social drugs i mean in the 1960s parents would demand teenagers must be home by 10:30 i mean that would wow. that would have been yeah. very common i think and teenagers yes. were far more um your young people generally far more likely to adhere to those rules and mm. I, it just made me think there even the the package tours, even those with the Beatles, oh, yes. reflected, you know, they, they would all finish by nine thirty, ten o'clock. So young people could get home. Nobody of that era would have imagined a time when people arrive, <laughs> arrive at a club at midnight. You know, it's just uh, it would have, would have been unthinkable. But I think your theory theory is spot on. I suspect so. Coming right up, the unstoppable rise of Amal Rajan. That's next after Mr. Scruff and Roots Maneuver. And it's like this. And it dies. It's like that. Next. The other. Yes. Coasting in. Ten times the speed of life. Our captain is. None of them is coming to bed. And who am I? Yeah. Look at something called the Joss. The Joss. Joss. Well, easy rider. Fluid last. Ninja punch tempo. Scuffed up. Roughed up. Minimal maniacic. Backer of them basics. Words to groove. Groove to work. Sit back. We observe. We write books. Life study. Smith who? Mercy money. Put down the caffeine for taekwondo. Slow-mo maneuver. New brand improved, smash up a TV. Yeah, look up brain food. Whoa, it's I, original, subversive spy. Took that weekly money and I told no fly. Your honor, most truly it was all for the cause. For weeks on end, we sitting around this mixing board with this need for liquor. Rhythms them my junkie, bust up in that place now. Who named Spunky? Just, just, we just, 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 we just, 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 we just. Just must, must, we must, 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 we must, 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 we must, must. Hey, yeah, yeah. 
pack living. Switch mix to a monster lunatic. With my tunable choo choo chain. New time tuning. Scruffing on the kitchen and no fish to fry. Bigger please do kind, sir. Pick out those eyes, saying off to shark well. Protein blast. Got them type of style that put your nigga that want blast the cost. So who send it? Deep blue nutrition. Feed that stuff chop. Game pole position from we hope to be rich. Wish to we hope. Reality bites and I run snatch the soap. Within a split second, it was there to see them. Technicolor options there before we. Replenish with cheese, sundown, freeway free. Dub terrorists with this activity. Switching up procedure. Downside up. How the hell is it we looking at this half old cup? Just, 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 just. Just must, must, we must, 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 we must, 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 we must, must. Them dudes don't know me, and I don't know them dudes. We could waste our time being boasting and booze. Resigned to the fact, leave the world to the world. See our own thing in that ten foot stone to John Crow. Gang so hard that we booze up big toe. Gang so hard that we booze up big. Yeah, Gavin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We pop that mind. Gets that rhyme, leaning pizza, cookie design. We sing it over the line to good speeds of mind. Yeah, we spread the news, the views, the whole ten. To hone up in the place, I was saved by the golden pen. Close your eyes and see the sunrise, dip, dip in five. So socialize, is he mad in it? Yeah, yeah. Hey, rub the teeth, grabbing it, original, wholesome, holy God. Eyes like us do, no I starve. The people over there, they're my cursing cars. They won't come on up and kick me to a boss. Can't stand pain, can't stand shame. I be one for cover. Who can I call my brother? Who can I call my sis? Most people they take the piss, and I can't stand the piss. So it's fit fair. Hit, hate, same old blasty cycle. Same in the food that's I talk. Wacky, who's Michael? How could you be so spiteful? Eating on my trifle. Make me feel stifle. Make me feel oh, oh, damn, yeah. She needed me, needed me, bleeding me, die. Could not see sight, I was miles too high. But those dudes don't know me, and I don't know them dudes. I could waste my time being boasting and rude. Resigned to the fact, leave the world to the world. Seek our own fling in that ten foot stone on John Cole. Skank so hard it I bruise my big. Skank so hard it I bruise my big. Skank so hard it I bruise my big. Yeah. I enjoy the chaos adjacent roots maneuver at all times. He always sounds like he's literally just been woken up and given a microphone, which I very much enjoy. Um, a huge fan of his solo stuff. I love Mr. Scruff as well. I've had the pleasure of seeing Mr. Scruff DJ, um, and he's fantastic. Such a sort of great taste and a great aesthetic. And so the, to have the two of them together is the dream for me. And I, I love the relentlessness of that track. I think it's great. That was uh, just, just spelt J-U-S-J. US by Roots Maneuver and Mr. Scruff. It's new to me, but I understand. I uh, did uh, I looked the chap up. I understand that Mr. Scruff has his own tea shop in Manchester, yes. which is yes. perhaps an unlikely but rather sweet side hustle, I thought. It is. He does these funny little cartoons. And I've actually got, they used to sell them, I, I think they used to sell them through Oxfam as well for a while. I bought some at a festival and I've actually got, I'll try and find it, a little tea tin with like a little cartoon of how they make the tea making process or a cartoon strip around the side of it. 
and you used to be able to buy Mr. Scruff tea towels as well. I don't think you can get them anymore. And I'm a big fan of the tea towel trends generally in the bands that I go and see. It says so much about the bands that I see, the sort of six music audience bands where audience members will be in their late 30s to sort of 60s and beyond, that the merchandise stand is now mugs and tea towels. I, uh, my friends have got a Jesus and Mary chain psycho candy tea towel they, they display proudly in their record shop. I've got a Pixies one, I think, that I use as well. And I, I just love the idea that these once kind of, uh, these uh, these once rebellious bands have sort of tea, tea making stuff on their uh, mugs and things on their stands. And also, to be fair, like, again, I, this sort of ties to the previous subject. I love the fact that in the sort of slightly druggy dance music world, Mr. Scruff sells tea and always has done. I think that's brilliant. <laughs> We were talking about Claire Balding last week and that there's yeah. never been a, a greater example of the issues of overexposure than uh, dear old Claire. It, it, it was a slow mm. build, a gentle, lovely show on Radio 4 about walking yes, around the UK countryside. Yeah. Then um, horse racing on the TV, then country yeah. file, then lots of sports, then the peak of her career at the London Olympics and yes. then everywhere writing sports yes. columns, books, autobiography. And there's nothing wrong with any of this at all. Of course, she's a very knowledgeable and able broadcaster. Yeah, and, um, and, and a charming broadcaster as uh, well. You sort of buy into her, I think. She's very likeable. Absolutely, albeit in a, in a rather cosy cardigan, the world is rose-tinted way. But Some of us like that, Terence. Some yeah. of us are wearing cardigans right now. <laughs> so, you know, I, I do caveat all this. Saying there's nothing wrong with any of this at all. But the mm. problem is she now suffers from Sarah Lancashire syndrome in mm. that viewers say, oh, gosh, it's her Not again. Her again, yeah. I mean, for a while, just as there was a rule that said that uh, any TV crime drama must star Sarah Lancashire, then... Mm. Like no national occasion now can proceed without Claire Balding. And it can be said that these broadcasters and actors like Sarah Lancashire, it's part, you know, they're poorly advised because the public mm. do get fed up when a presence becomes overloaded on TV or radio or the movies. Absolutely. Ryland's managed, I think, to just about avoid this. He's on um, the edge. Yeah, yes. he's, on, he's he, on the edge I, with that. He, had, he's, he's he had some time brilliant. out, I think, mm -hmm. uh, with some yeah. personal problems last summer. And actually, weirdly, I think that that you know as, as awful as all that was for him in a way that kind of that intervened in a period where it very easily have gone over the top i think but but yeah absolutely it, i agree with you sue so, perkins as well as another case that in, that is, that again that, that's another that clear boarding syndrome that's right so with all that in mind jules step forward amor rajan the new sarah lancashire sue perkins mm. and claire balding he now seems to be presenting on every possible bbc channel mm, yes i mean i have real issues with this in so many ways I'm, I'm going to try and unpack them in a reasonable way um firstly I guess the first I'll do it in this order I don't think he's very good is my is my feeling on Amal Rajan I I have a I have an old school clock radio that wakes me up with an FM radio every day and I I it's tuned to Radio 4 so it wakes me up with today usually and so the first thing I hear in the mornings are, I might have to change this because the other morning, the first thing I heard was Liz Truss. And I, that's not an experience <laughs> I would wish to repeat very well, maybe often. Maybe one you need Although, to get used to. If I was going to say, I, I, was about, I was about to say it, but it, I sense it will it will be inescapable soon. But um, but yeah, so I hear all the voice of the presenters each day. So you get to sort of, you get a sense of them, I think, and their personalities. And to me, Amol Rajan always sounds 
quite a bit like the Roots manoeuvre of today, really. He always sounds like he's just he's just kind of been taken by surprise. He always, for me, I often hear him sounding confused, um, you know, not terribly interested at times. He seems to flip between extremely formal and then randomly casual for some reason. I, I don't find him very good. I don't think he's very good. Which then raises the question, why is this person on anything if they're on everything if they're not even that good? Because, um, you know, but with the people like Claire Balding and Rylan and, and Sue Perkins, they're all people I really like. And they're all people who, even if you think, oh, no, not them again, you can say they're really good. They've got an appeal to them. They're very good at what they do. I've never got that with Amal Rajan. Speaking of him being on everything, the um, the most recent thing is the announcement that he'll be taking over from Jeremy Paxman on mm. University Challenge. Now, I am confused by this on a sort of just on a competence level in that I, you know, I, I as li- listeners know I'm in the quiz world. I know people that work on the program. You know, I know people, lots of people that have been on the program. I sometimes read quizzes myself on a sort of a friendly basis by reading. I mean, I read it out for other people to play along and often in a buzzer quiz style format like University Challenge. Your diction has got to be spot on. You've absolutely got to be clear. You cannot mumble. Mm. Amal Rajan is one of the worst mumblers on broadcast radio for me and TV. His di- I, I cannot see this working. I think his diction is dreadful and I really don't think it's going to work, which begs the question, why did he get this job? And that is a fair question to ask. Samira Ahmed, who... Um, it's a, you know, a TV broadcaster, and this is perhaps relevant, unfortunately, to our story here, took the BBC to court and won um, in an employment tribunal over, over pay, unequal pay for women. She went for the mastermind job and didn't get it. Clive Myrie got it. She has been, for the last few months, the stand-in presenter on University Challenge. So that what they did was they trained her up. Because okay. of the, the the slight issues with Jeremy, with Jeremy mm. Paxman, obviously he's unwell. Um, it was becoming increasingly apparent that he wouldn't be doing many more series. So what they did was they trained someone so that if Jeremy Paxman was taken ill for some reason or was sort of indisposed, they had a sort of a, a standby that could do it. She was very much liked by the production team. She thought it was really good. You know, she she was really keen on it. Um, Production team liked her so much that when Jeremy Paxman, you know, announced his retirement, this is made by a separate production company, by the way. This is not made by the University of The production company basically said to Samira, well, we want you to take over. We want you to have the job. And they told the BBC that they wanted it to be her. And there was a delay in it being announced. And they asked the BBC why, what the delay was. And the BBC said, oh, you know, there's a bit of an issue, but, um, you know, hold tight. At 11 o'clock the next morning, Amal Rajan was announced as a presenter of How University odd. Challenge with no, no, um, you know, no, no, no warning given. Uh, Samira Ahmed, the day before, had put a very interesting Twitter thread where when you read it back now, she obviously knew what was going to happen. Mm. She obviously had sensed it by basically saying, I really want to present this programme. I really love the team. The team loved me. Um, and there was a pitch of her and Bamba Gascoigne together, former host, who had given her some tips on it. There is outrage amongst the sort of quizzing community and this kind of community that this has happened no explanation was given as to why 
Amal Rajan's history was that he really started, he, the, the, the main thing of his career that kicked him on was being at the independence and being a big friend and confidant of the, the Lebedevs, of Eugene Lebedev. And all of this stuff just makes me think in terms of the bad decisions that the BBC are making at the moment, we discussed in the other week, we've recently found out that Roger Bolton on Radio 4's feedback has been kicked off after 25 mm. years. Why? What's the point? He made a rather sort of barbed goodbye on the, on the last issue that he did a week or two ago. I don't know what is going on at the BBC at the moment. I don't know why certain people that very clearly lack lack basic talents, like being able to read stuff out in a clear way, are being are being pumped up the BBC. It's clear to me that the BB that Samir Ahmed embarrassed the BBC, but unfortunately, because she was for them, because she was successful at tribunal, perhaps that makes it difficult for for you know publicity wise mm. for her to be moved on. So just don't give her any of the jobs that she should have. I mean, if I was at ITN mm. or Channel Four, I would be waving a blank checkbook at Samir Ahmed right about now. She could be presenting Channel Four News tomorrow night if she wanted to. I feel for Samir Ahmed. I think she genuinely loves the BBC and is trying to hold a mirror to it to make it a better institution. I, I'm just so cross about this, Terence. Oh, I'm yes, just so cross hear. about this whole this whole escapade. I think it's there is a peculiar rise particularly in the early part of Amal Rajan's career he scored a, a job as a, um, a researcher on the Matthew Wright show on Channel mm. 5 TV then as you mentioned he joined the independent newspaper and rose swiftly mm. swiftly from junior reporter to become editor at only 29 years old and and then um again as you, as you um, mentioned moved on to become and i always put this in um, inverted commas evgeny lebedev's media advisor mm. and it's not of course there's nothing wrong with any of that but it's an no. unusual career path yes. and then as you say just as breezily he's at the bbc in very senior broadcasting roles and uh, yeah exactly he has very kindly agreed to step down as media editor apparently so that he can mm -hmm. you know have some of these jobs which is you know very decent of him cough yes it, but yeah there is a a peculiarity to that that in um, whenever a role becomes vacant the first name you seem to hear in respect to filling that vacancy is Amol Rajan but one of one of the great dangers uh, is typecasting I think and just as it can happen in acting roles so it can mm. be in the, in the hand-knitted world of Claire Balding syndrome and of course the, the thing difference being for um, people like Rajan and, and Claire and so on is it if you're Tom Cruise or Hugh Grant and sitting on millions of dollars playing the same role mm. movie, then it's less of a burden um but yes, uh, yeah. it's, oh, it's, you're you're lucky in that you're a polymath uh, Jill, so this <laughs> could never happen to you as are you can I just point out as well with your with your various things I mean I, I'm just here learning off you really that's that's I'm just I'm just hanging around to learn how to you know how to be an extra in the craze that's that or, or cockneys versus zombies we never had any confirmation as to which of those you were but I'm I'm hanging around for tips nonetheless <laughs> I was a old age pensioner zombie. Oh, excellent! I mean, that is, you know, that that that. What can I say? It's the role you were born I, I, to play. I was shot by Honor Blackman, but then I came oh, back from oh. the dead. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've never actually seen this, yeah. and you've just sold it to me in a single sentence. Coming next: tales of customer service and rage-inducing hold music. That's right after post-punk heroes, Pink Military. Did you feel looking round the empty room? Did you feel our angry 
one point it seemed that everybody in Liverpool except Kenny Dalgleish was in this band. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they only released one album, but it did reach number three in the then newly launched indie album chart. A single from the album Do Animals Believe in God in 1980, Pink Military. And did you see her? Yeah, I wasn't familiar with that at all. I never heard of them unusually. I've got a fairly good working knowledge of music from that time. Didn't know them at all. I enjoyed that. Anybody who sort of wants, looks up Pink Military and Wikipedia, you'll see what I mean. That everybody from every other band in Liverpool was 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 part of the band. Jane Casey, of course, coming from uh, big in Japan. Mm. Now, we live in strange times and uh, certainly it feels like the universal lockdown has led to a change in human behaviour, in Mm. in my view, largely for the worst. And I've noticed many more shops and businesses displaying prominent posters stating things like we will not tolerate abusive behaviour towards our staff. Mm. And that's that's quite right. No dispute Mm. for me. Um, We shouldn't take out our agitation against um, some front of house staff merely trying to earn enough to pay their electricity bill but um this has also coincided with a huge drop in the customer service we now receive we've probably got all got our own tales but I, I some of mine probably do deserve the tiny violin to be brought out but um add them together and a pattern of kind of couldn't care less emerges a very quick example and i do realize this is a mm. You know, it's a oh poor you kind of thing. But um last weekend we went out for a meal in a very upmarket gastro pub in the Surrey Hills. Cut a long story short, we ordered and then waited over ninety minutes for the food to be served, and it was cold. And it, I mean, it, it shouldn't have been. It was a hot hot meal. Mm. But the thing was, we agreed um, that there was no complaint worth making because mm. the young waiters and waitresses were rushed off their feet. They weren't. Yes. The owners simply had filled more tables than the kitchen could cope with, clearly. Yes. Yeah. And that we all seem to accept that if you're in a similar light, if you're phoning a national or international company, you're going to be on hold for 40 minutes or more before someone Mm. takes the call. Don't abuse the staff, Jules, but we now have to seem we seem to have to now accept dismal service as normal. I mean, yeah, it's it's uh, or, or just I mean, I think you, you, you've got it spot on there where you said that the problem is not the waiters. No. The problem is is institutions being run ineptly. I think I yeah. think that's that was a really good summary. And I think that that, you know, that that we end up bearing that the customers end up bearing the brunt that most the people at sort of lower service levels in employees and companies end up bearing the brunt. And it's you know, it seems to be the same story across the society at the moment there are parallels to what's going on with the fact that we have a sea full of sewage down here where i live and and the water companies continue to cream off huge profits for shareholders because they have they've, they've done the maths and they've worked out that spend it is cheap i mean i, I know this from somebody involved it is cheaper to pay fines than it is to pay for <laughs> to have the works done so that it doesn't happen so you just pay the fine Great. and when this happened years this a similar thing happened years ago uh, we learned about this in sociology at school. Um, a, a car manufacturer—I can't remember which one now. So this mm. is this is not vague for legal purposes. This is vague because I have a poor memory on this sort mm. of thing. Um, a car manufacturer discovered a fault in its model, which meant that the fuel tank tank was put in the wrong place which meant if there was a rear impact collision uh, the car would explode it was it was something that was quite a serious thing 
and because they had rolled out this model in a large sort of scale they it didn't always happen it didn't happen every time but it just increased the risk and they did calculations and they worked out that it was more cost effective to just pay out for a lawsuit when it happened than it would be to change the car so that they were safe and eventually when it was discovered there was an enormous outcry and i think it might have it might have contributed to the the company going bankrupt this isn't happening over here, is it? You know, why Why aren't people, I mean, there was a protest down here, to be fair, but why aren't people going crazy? And we talked about it the other week. Why aren't people going crazy about the fact that, you know, that that is somehow acceptable for the water mm. people to do it is acceptable for the for the you know the, the the utilities companies for the price cap to go up again and again and you know there are people facing a winter which they might not live through and i don't think that's hyperbolic i think that is that is a mm. reasonable conclusion to make and you know there are it's a very small minority of people that are that are getting rich off of this and you know having a good life off of this and it's, and there's a majority of people who aren't and i agree and i think that the pandemic so there's been research that that sort of the the our lack of patience with things or our frustration at things was was increasing pre-pandemic anyway and like so many things it's just been kicked into hyperdrive by the pandemic the balance of of you know stuff not being able to work because of the pandemic but also i think there's a lot of people that have used the pandemic as a cover i think for you know just oh it's just you know we won't provide a great level of service because people don't expect it because of the pandemic um there's been a point made in this guardian article about the dehumanizing effects of communing online so this idea Hmm. that we um that we've got used to the idea that you know people aren't really sort of real they sort of live in our computers Hmm. and and Hmm. they're not really sort of we've forgotten this idea of uh, someone's made the point frictionless online payments the idea idea that you can just press a button and pay for something and then it arrives which means that then when it doesn't happen it's it's you know that it's all the more shocking like you say it's just so so frustrating that yes the last few years have been really difficult and we're all i think in britain at the moment it it's you know when when we've just been talking about kind of how large parts of british society fundamentally don't work at the moment i think that's a fair way of summing it up and that is I think it's just been and I know this sounds like a bit of a, a you know sort of what they say a first world problem but I just find it so depressing that Britain is the fifth richest country in the world and it is so stressful to live here Terence it has been for years this constant kind of low level of all the Brexit chaos and then all the general election chaos then all the Covid chaos and then you know Boris Johnson has gone again we've got this energy stuff coming in neither of the Conservative candidates showed much of a I say much of a clue of how to deal with it, even very much interest, really, when it came down to it. They seem to spend most of the summer talking about culture wars, whilst, you know, people are possibly going to pay five grand for their energy by by January. And, yeah, I have... It's weird, isn't it? Because I, because I'm frustrated by things fundamentally not working as you are. But equally, I'm trying to remember the fact that it, it just feels stressful to be a person living in Britain at the moment, just having this constant low-level whine of chaos in the background. And presumably, these people are also working. In, you know, the people working in customer service presumably have the same thing. The problem's at the very top, isn't it? And it means that we all end up sort of suffering lower down. I've got another nuisance first world issue that I want to put to you. Here's an example. I had a small, a trivial issue to change with my bank during the week. It was a very small thing. 
you can't you can't telephone you don't telephone you have to use their online chat facility so i logged on and this is the exact message mm. a screenshot of it here this oh, is God, what came right. up one of our teams should be free to respond to your query in about 46 minutes I, mean, <laughs> I don't know which is worse hanging on for a chat bot to ping with a reply <laughs> yeah, be hanging exactly. on a telephone listening um to hold music for the same time and of course hold music that is my other uh first world issue they have <laughs> right. to intersperse hold music with little messages telling us oh, yes, how, important how important our call is. is to them to which i want to shout if it's so important employ blooming more people to answer your phone exactly phones, exactly i agree but, i mean so hold music used to be a thing for me as well um you quite enjoy this terence when i used to work in private practice i would often have particularly in sort of slightly more volume converting environments i used to spend a lot of time before you could do a lot of things online which you can do now actually to be fair to most mortgage lenders you used to have to ring them up for you know for, for whatever reason and i'd spend a lot of time on hold to mortgage companies sort of banks building societies that sort of things and i got to the point where i'd shared a room with a colleague and often if you're on hold you just you'd say to your colleague do you mind if i put this on speaker and you go yeah fine whatever so they put it on if you aren't on the phone someone put it on speaker mm-hmm. got to the point where one of us would be able to walk into the room and identify which mortgage company the mm-hmm. other one was on hold to because we knew which music they used because they right. all use the same oh, thing. God. The be- the best whole music, by the way, is First Direct, who used to have a really good playlist of stuff. And it got to the point where I was once on hold to them for so long that I actually live tweeted what the playlist was. <laughs> and people were sort of hanging on to wait to see who's going to be next. Is it going to be the Kaiser Chiefs? Is it going to be Simple <laughs> Minds? Is it going to be Adele? So, so yes, I agree with you that the whole music can be very stressful. Maya, if, if you want a, a real beat, if you want to sort of beat your 46 minutes, Terence, mm. um, professionally so and again this is another example of of institutions that have been badly run and badly funded and then everyone suffers the land registry has been which is the organization in britain which basically maintains the public record of who owns property Mm. it's a really important function and it's and it is a function of government you know it's it's a function Mm. it's a state function it's not a profit-making enterprise it's a very important matter of public record it's very integral um george osborne attempted to privatize it in about 2013 2014 there was a consultation and it's the only government consultation i've ever known to work i've never known any of them work the decisions always been made have always been lip service i think the reason it worked is that again private practice lawyers took the improperty not always the most politicized of, of, of people but every single lawyer i knew signed that consultation saying no you cannot put the public record up as a matter of, of private profit this is not compatible it will not work um you'll get efficiency savings you won't be able to do this properly so 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 that was quietly scrapped what has just happened instead is that it's been starved of funding and starved of resources people have retired and not been replaced people have been given voluntary redundancy which means there are considerably less staff there than once were and and, and experienced staff as well because sometimes the queries can be quite technical so you need these sort of brains on this pre-covid in 2019 we'd sent a lease off to be registered and it had been with them six months so i gave them a ring to see where it was and they said, oh, OK, we'll have a look and we'll send you a slip or we'll send you a fax or an email. You know, once we've looked into it, fine. OK, so they did. And we were told for applications of this nature, 
our remaining time scale, so that given the six months we've already had, they mm. said, we expect to come back to you within 113 working days. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I mean, oh, my and, life. And at the moment, at the moment we, we put in it, we, we've got applications, which, oh. and this is, this hasn't been helped by the, the rush of, oh. you know, people buying properties in the, you know, post-COVID in the last couple of years, and in the stamp duty changes and people racing to get in before that deadline. But at the moment, and I think this is sort of a national, this is a quiet national scandal that nobody knows about if you buy a house it might take nine months for your ownership of it to be officially registered mm. oh and that God, is and that's gonna, that's that's going to cause problems that that mm. lays the system open to fraud you know it's it's yes. it's mad isn't it so it really so, is yeah. yes i agree I mean, just talking about going back to whole music for a moment, there is something yeah, so so enraging about listening to a, a loop of some tinny version, I don't know, of an upbeat samba tune when you're holding on to find <laughs> out why your Internet has gone down or why your bin hasn't been collected. Yeah. And I was thinking there should be a choice. There should be a choice of whole music. You should mm. be able to like, press one for the Beatles Two yes. for Mozart, three for the Prodigy, four for the I quite like that. Box. That's great. Yeah. It sounds a little bit like, um, I think we've talked about this before, the concept of the silent disco. I don't know if you're familiar with this. They have them down here. Mm. You go in and there is no music playing on speakers, but you're all given a pair of headphones yeah. to listen to. But sometimes there are, th- so I went to one recently where there was three channels. So you could pick, ah. did you want the the pop music channel, the rock channel or the dance channel? And there were three different DJs playing on each channel and they had like a button on the headphones that you could sort of flick. So you, yes. could, so you could move between. So if you heard, if you took your headphones off and heard people singing a tune you quite liked, you'd find it on the thing. Maybe they need to take the silent disco approach to hold music. I think we can monetize this, Terence. Yeah, I think there would be some comfort in that as well, that you, you, you would feel more in charge of your own destiny. I agree. Thanks very much for listening this week. Good to have you there. Always a great pleasure. Thank you for sitting with us. Uh, Juliet's radio show is, of course, the very opposite of tinny, repetitive <laughs> music. Yes, although we do play Steely Dan a lot. But yes, it's um, it's it's a very calming, relaxing and uplifting experience. So I'm told that's the aim anyway. Mm. Smooth sailing from 7 to 9 p.m. on noiseboxradio.com. Um, yacht rock, easy listening, M.O.R., A.O.R., classic pop, stuff that's just nice on a Sunday evening, really. To play us out, a lovely song that was tucked away on a B-side. Yes, indeed. Really rather fond of this. Um, I do like to try and find something that's a little bit more unusual for you, said T. I'm a, I'm a big fan of this. Um, I, and actually, this was recently played on Smooth Sailing. My friend Eddie got me onto this, and I think this is lovely. And it really fitted the vibe, actually. It was a nice finish to that particular edition. So, um, much like much like your people that you played earlier on, um, the, pink mili- the, the Pink Military, as I will insist on calling them. These people, again, much tipped to be huge at one point and, and never quite managed it. But um, I still very much enjoy this song. Um, this is Bebop, Bebop Deluxe, and the song is called Crying to the Sky. To the sky, searching for a silver lining, hoping that the clouds are climbing on high and Nowhere left to go, but we show now disappoints me. Still, the ghost of love must haunt me till I die.
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>